Well, this year, our annual theme in our preaching ministry is learning the way of Jesus. And the question we've said is, if the gospel is true, how then shall we live? And so this is a huge question. It touches on every aspect of our lives together, not just in one area here in the church, uh, but not in the home not just in our workplaces, but not in the public sphere and so on. It covers everything. The gospel of Jesus changes everything. Now, this sermon series we've been working through is called Redeeming Regular Life. And this, we've said, is a series from uh, some, something called the household codes of the epistles or the letters of the New Testament in the Bible. Now, in the first century AD, we've said that household codes addressed the way our basic relationships ought to work in, whether it's in marriage and parenting, at work, in other places, in the regular stuff of life. And this sort of instruction was common in that time. But the apostles, the witnesses of Jesus, wrote from a uniquely Christian perspective in the Bible. And it's vital as Christians today to think these things through because the way of Jesus changes everything. So there is much redemption to be found. There's much growth and freedom and joy and so much more that can come from learning the way of Jesus in regular life. For the last few weeks, we've started our series with, the, with redeeming marriage from Ephesians chapter 5, and then last week, redeeming sexuality from 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And today, we'll come back to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 in order to consider what the gospel and the way of Jesus has to do with being single. Now, I'm not sure why, but growing up in the church, I can remember hearing teaching uh, from my childhood on, uh, on being married. And I'm, but I'm not sure if I ever remember hearing a sermon on being single. Now, from my perspective today, this is kind of weird to me because, after all, it is true that despite the fact that people are tending to get married later in life today than a generation or two ago, still, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, about 90% of adults will be married at least once in their lifetimes. So even today, in an age of, frankly, mass confusion and much anxiety about marriage, most people still get married. However, not everyone. And not everyone, of course, who gets married stays married, whether because of divorce or death. And so this means that 100% of us, not just 90, but 100% of us, every single one of us, needs to learn how to follow the way of Jesus as a single person. Now, thankfully, the Bible direct, directly addresses this question for us. And maybe today, if you're single, you're wondering, like, I wonder if it would be God's will that I be married or not. Should I get married or not? Should I remain single? How do I think about these things? Well, if you have a Bible or a Bible app, please take it and open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 25. 1 Corinthians 7, starting with verse 25. We'll put the scripture on the screens for you as well. Hopefully I did that right this morning. I caught an error of mine just before I walked up here. So it uh, might be that kind of morning. We'll see. So you better open your own Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting with verse 25. This is a longer passage we're going to cover, but fear not. Uh, we're going to break it into three sections, three parts. Okay, so number one we'll see our priorities in light of eternity. Number two, we'll see the calling to undivided devotion. And third and finally, the gift of freedom in Christ. So first, our priorities in light of eternity. Look at verse 25. Now about virgins, 
<laughs> it's an unusual start. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Because of the present crisis, I think it, that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. <laughs> Are you laughing at the text? <laughs> Good. <laughs> I'm, yeah, that's funny. That's right. Good. You're paying attention. <laughs> I thought maybe I missed something, but I didn't. Okay. <laughs> you could have just said amen. 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 Okay. What I mean, brothers and sisters, verse 29 forge ahead, is that the time is short. From, isn't a very romantic picture of marriage, I guess. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Okay, let's pause here. There's enough to cover so far. So the book of 1 Corinthians is an epistle or letter, as I said last week, from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in and around the city of Corinth in the modern country of Greece. And last week we saw that there were some specific issues that Paul was writing to correct, including in the area of sexuality. Now, some Corinthians were being too permissive with regard to sexuality, while others were being too restrictive. Okay, there was, there was a, two different perspectives happening here. And Paul reminded them of the Christian sexual ethic of faithfulness in marriage and celibacy outside of marriage. And we saw last week that this view of how we ought to live in light of the truth of the gospel has never probably, frankly, been popular. It has always been countercultural. Now, naturally, these views would impact the Corinthians thinking on whether or not to get married and how to live if they were unmarried. So Paul says about virgins, and probably referring to the young women of Corinth, he has no specific command from Jesus, but he offers some pastoral advice as someone, he says, who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think Paul at this point would have definitely uh, proven his trustworthiness to the Corinthians. So this means that Paul is applying the various principles of God's word to a situation that isn't directly addressed in the Bible. And this is a helpful principle to see because the Bible gives us all that we need to know about who God is and the way of salvation and who we are in Christ and so many other glorious truths, but it doesn't tell everything about everything. So sometimes we have to apply principles from God's word to a situation that isn't discussed. Well, what's the situation? This question, should a Christian, if they're not married, should they get married or not? How do we think about these things? And Paul writes in verse 26, look back at that. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, we're not exactly sure, frankly, what the crisis is that he's referring to here. He, he refers to a crisis earlier in chapter 7 as well. Now, some uh, commentators, some theologians think that there's evidence that Corinth was in the middle of a, a time of famine. And perhaps that was the crisis that he's referring to. Now, in a time of famine, it would naturally lead some people to say, I'm not sure this is the best time for me to get married and have a family and settle down. We're in a crisis. 
Now, many people in our, in our day had that thought through COVID, right? Maybe I should just kind of pause on major life activities or decisions. Well, that may be true, but we don't have evidence in the text that that's what the crisis that Paul was referring to. But it also might just simply be referring to the confusion in Corinth about matters of marriage and sexuality. We know from earlier in 1 Corinthians chapters 5 and 6 that Paul addresses some kind of messed up situations and understandings of what it means to follow Jesus in those areas. And maybe that's the crisis. But at any rate, whatever the crisis is, he says that because of their situation, their circumstances, his judgment is, as a pastor for them, is they should remain as they are. Saying in verse 27, are you pledged to a woman? Maybe, meaning, are you engaged? Do not seek to be released. Are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. Okay, so here Paul affirms the goodness of marriage. I mean, he doesn't really make it look awesome, but he doesn't say that it is sinful and wrong. Marriage, as we've seen already, is a gift of God. Paul directly emphasizes that in Ephesians chapter five. Here he's addressing some other issues. But marriage is a gift of God and can, as we saw, be a beautiful picture of the gospel out into a world of darkness. A healthy Christian marriage, the relationship between a husband and wife, can be a picture of the relationship between Christ and the church, and it's a beautiful thing. Now, if that's true, then of course it wouldn't be a sin to get married or to want to be married, to desire marriage if you're single. But, and here's where Paul points us to evaluate our priorities in light of eternity, he, he goes on to say in, in the second half of verse 28, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. Okay, yes, amen, <laughs> hallelujah. Now, I wanna spare you from this says Paul. Now, what I mean, hang on, what I mean, Paul says, brothers and sisters, is that time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as if they do not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed by them. Why? For, because this world in its present form is passing away. The time is short. This world in its present form is passing away. This life and this age that we live in will both one day come to an end and transition into something new. For Christians, we believe that this cataclysmic event, this changing of the ages will happen at the return of Jesus when the dead will be raised and all people will stand before the Lord and give an account of our lives to him. Those in Christ will live forever in his kingdom, in a newly created heaven and earth. Those apart from Christ will be separated from the love, the love and the light and the life of God going on forever, which is what hell is. So in light of that reality, in light of that future fact, in light of the fact that time now is short and this world is passing away, what does that have to do with our priorities today? Well, my friends, we must hold loosely the things of this world, whether our desires for them or our enjoyment of them. 
And the reason is not because they're sinful and dirty and wrong and lower, like part of this lower physical existence. That's more ancient Greek thought. That's not what Paul says here. But because the things of this world, including marriage, including sexuality, including the ups and downs of life, he talks about mourning and also happiness, including our material possessions, and there's some cool stuff out there that we can get and use and enjoy. But whatever these things include, including maybe even the current crisis of our day, uh, we have cri- a new crisis every day if you watch the news and more sometimes. But these things all are a part of a system that will one day come to a conclusion, come to an end. Even though the present world around us often seems more real than anything we could believe in or imagine for our future, if the gospel is true and if one day Jesus will return, then we are only in a season here and now. No matter what you're going through, if it's terrible, it's a season. But if it's really good, it's also a season. It helps us keep this, these, the things of this world in perspective. And we must have a different perspective on our present. We must have, as Paul would say, a future-informed view of our present circumstances. Our present goals our present desires and values. You know what you won't care about one million years from now? 99.9% of what keeps you up today. However, if you don't know the gospel or you don't believe that Jesus will return one day, then I understand and it makes complete sense to me why you would hold tightly to the things of this world to the pleasures, to the rewards, to stuff in the present. The Apostle Paul later in this letter writes, if the dead are not raised, if there is no future resurrection, if there is no judgment, if there is no age to come, then let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. You see, if all we have is the here and now, then the only thing that people should pursue or worry about is what they think, what you think will make you happy in the future. Now, of course, many people in our culture today have this attitude. In fact, I would say this is the predominant attitude of our world. This is all we get, so let's just wring any kind of happiness and joy out of today that we can. But for the Christian, we must evaluate our priorities in a different way. We must evaluate our lives and what we give our time and attention to in light of eternity, which is far greater than here and now. So let's come back to our question. Christian, should we get married or not? Well, this question, without the proper perspective of eternity, often makes marriage way too big of a deal here and now. Many people view finding the perfect spouse or having the perfect wedding or enjoying the sort of Instagram-worthy, picture-perfect life as their only hope for finding love, affection, fulfillment, companionship, and happiness in life. But my friends, time is short. And we should hold loosely to the things of this world. So with this eternal perspective, Paul is helping us to see that marriage is still good. 
Marriage is still very important, but it's not everything. In fact, it's only part of this season and this age that we live in today. Jesus taught that there is no marriage in this future heaven and earth. Is this how we think about our marital status? Are we only focusing on the here and now, or do we have an eye ever on our future in Christ? So should we get married or remain single? Well, first, Paul helps us check our priorities in light of eternity. Helpful. Okay, number two, let's consider the calling to undivided devotion. We'll continue with verse 32. I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. An unmarried woman or a virgin is, considered, is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Okay, let's pause here. So the word translated concern here is also used uh, or translated as the word anxiety in the Bible. And Paul reminds us of just how much care, how much concern, how much anxiety, frankly, is spent on the affairs of, the, of this world in marriage. Now from the husband's concern or anxiety for his wife's needs and happiness to the wife's concern for her husband and if they have children to their concern for their children and grandchildren and so on. Speaking personally, so much of, of our time for my wife Holly and I at home is consumed by just the basics of working to provide enough income for all these people that God has entrusted to our care, of getting relatively healthy food on the table in a timely manner, of running errands, of keeping the house clean, of going to kids' games and concerts and the never-ending list of stuff that's happening, and all the other just basic tasks of life in our household. Now again, Paul is not saying that all of this stuff is wrong. But he is pointing to the truth, and it's a helpful reminder, that in all the chaos of marriage and family life, of which there is an abundance, it's very easy to become divided in our devotion or distracted from the Lord. Paul's experience of remaining single and celibate is that he actually has had less to worry about and therefore has had, in his view, an easier time of remaining undivided and highly productive in his devotion to the Lord. So Jesus anticipated this challenge as well for the distractions of the affairs of this world in the parable of the sower found in Mark chapter four. And in that parable, the sower scatters the seed of God's word but the seeds fall on different types of soils. Some seeds, because of the soil, flourish and grow a great spiritual harvest, while others do not. Well, one of the reasons Jesus gives in Mark chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, he says that some people are like seeds sown among the thorns. They hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word making it unfruitful. Now, recently, I've been, in my heart, 
trying to decide whether or not we should at some point buy a boat. Have you ever had this uh, inner di dialogue? <laughs> should, I, should I buy a boat? Should I, some of you already bought a boat. You've already gone there. Okay, some of you don't understand what I'm talking about. Well, it has uh, crossed my mind several times that if we go ahead and do this boat purchase at some point, if we we're able to afford something like that, uh, it will bring potential joy into my life and it will also result in a lot of extra work and money needed to be spent to keep this thing afloat and you know, geared up for whatever we use it. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is what Paul is talking about. With the stuff of this world, it easily brings joy. It also easily brings division in our minds and our hearts, distraction, busyness, to the point where we lose our way. One of the main killers of the Christian faith, Jesus is saying with his parable, isn't the arguments of, hard, of a hardcore atheist disproving the plausibility of Christianity. Jesus says one of the main killers of the Christian faith is simply the busyness and common distractions of life. Good things, and maybe especially the good things like marriage and family, can become idols to us, capturing our hearts, ruling our lives, controlling our calendars, and replacing the one true God as the true focus of our devotion. Now, this was no less of a danger back in Paul's day of making an idol out of family relationships. In fact, maybe it was even more tempting for them than it is for us today because traditional cultures tend to look at marriage and family as the primary markers of a person's value and identity. This is why so many people in the Bible are introduced by who their lineage is who your father was, or how many children you had, or how many grandchildren you had, meant everything to them. So it would have been very strange, in fact, again, shockingly countercultural, for the Corinthians to hear Paul emphasizing the goodness of and the gift of remaining single. But he presses in, saying, in verse 35, I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. This is not a new legalism. This isn't a new chain keeping people enslaved in some way. But Paul says that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. So first, we considered our priorities in light of eternity. Second, the calling to an undevoted devotion. Third, and finally in this passage, we'll see the gift of freedom in Christ. Look at verse 36. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he is engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, and he feels he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who is under no compulsion but has control over his own will, and who has made up in his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then, he who marries the virgin does right, but he who does not marry her does better. A woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but he must belong to the Lord." In my judgment, she's happier if she stays as she is, and I think I too have the Spirit of God. This is the word of the Lord. 
It's a little sassy at the end there. So time is short. This world in its present form is passing away. That should impact how we see the world and how we think about our priorities in life. And marriage and family is complicated and distracting and chaotic, but we are all, no matter what our marital status is, called to undivided devotion to the Lord. Remember the first and greatest commandment is not to love your spouse. It's to love the Lord your God, heart, soul, mind, and strength. When family and marriage becomes an idol, we break the first and greatest commandment. But in the same way, as Jesus pointed out, to obey the first commandment is also to obey the second, which is to love your neighbor as yourself, whether your neighbor is next door or right there in your own home. So we must not miss either. Well, in light of this teaching, can we finally answer our question yet? Like, should a Christian get married or should I remain single? Well, the answer that Paul gives us here is that there really isn't a simple black and white answer to that question. Therefore, this is an area, and there are many areas of life like this, where we, by the truth of God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit, have freedom in Christ. Even in the face of their present crisis, and even though Paul thinks it better, or perhaps easier, to remain unmarried, he still affirms that if a Christian desires to get married to another Christian, they should. However, the marriage covenant is only effect as long as you both shall live, right? So for those who were married but their spouses passed away, again, you are free to choose whether you would marry again or remain single. So all of this means that we have freedom in Christ. Whether we're married, or whether we are single, or whether we're married and one day become single once again. But it's not freedom, as our culture would say, or our culture would think, to do whatever we want. This is the common view of singleness today. Oh, don't get married, because you'll limit your options. In fact, today, one of the clear, option, clear idols of our culture is keeping our options open. Instead, Christian freedom, true Christian freedom, means that we have been freed by faith in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus for a purpose. That in Christ, we are freed, not for whatever we want to do, but we are freed from the power of sin and death in order to live in such a way that brings honor to God and in, in such a way that brings us lasting contentment and peace and in order so that we might find the deep fulfillment of life as we grow to know Jesus and experience the power of his spirit and enjoy the fellowship of his church. So during Paul's day, and I believe in our culture today, the idea of remaining single was often seen as a state of dissatisfaction or even disgrace, as a way of life that is sadly lacking. But nothing could be further from the truth in God's kingdom. Just think as an example about the Apostle Paul. Remember, Paul remained single, and he apparently uh, preferred it that way. It's clear from his writings. But Paul says elsewhere that he learned how to be content in any and every circumstance. He wasn't lacking. 
Paul was a thankful man and he lived a life of joy, deep joy, regardless of his circumstances, which at some points were really bad. Paul never had kids, but in his letters, he demonstrates that he considered the many people that he discipled, that he invested into their lives to be his spiritual children and his true legacy. Paul understood the affairs of the world, but didn't allow himself to become distracted or divided in his devotion to Christ. As a result, Paul, our brother, became one of the most influential and spiritually productive people in all of human history. After Jesus, the Apostle Paul is one of the most influential people in human history. Not too bad a life, I'd say. Now, one of the details of Paul's life, which we're not going to cover here today, was the importance for him of Christian friendship. Now, even though Paul remained unmarried, he was never alone. Paul, if you follow his story in the book of Acts and elsewhere, was constantly surrounded by people who knew him, who loved him, who served with him, who were his friends. Throughout all the letters he's writing, he mentions all these people with him serving with him. He writes to all these people who he, whom he served elsewhere. Now there's much more to say about the role of healthy friendship in the life of the Christian, married or single. So in four weeks, we're gonna do a whole sermon on it. But today, as we close, I just wanna ask you a few questions. I'd like you to search your heart. Where are your priorities at? Do you live with eternity in mind or do you tend to focus only on the here and the now? What are the things that are distracting you from undivided devotion to the Lord? Maybe for you, a prayer this week could come from Psalm 86, verse 11. The psalmist writes, teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Ask the Lord to reveal to you if there's anything or anyone dividing your heart, distracting your attention and affection from the Lord. Listen to him. But at the end of the day, do you now see that both marriage and being single can be a gift For some, perhaps different gifts at different times in our lives. But either way, if the gospel is true, then married or not, we can learn the way of Jesus. And as we walk with him, and as we walk together in the church, our lives can become far richer, more fulfilling, and more productive than we could even imagine today as we grow in our knowledge of and our dependence upon and our unbelievable joy in Christ. What a gift. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Despite the fact that we are so easily distracted from you. Father, would you Help us by the power of your spirit to search our hearts and our lives and our minds, our calendars, the things we put our care and concern and fill fill us with anxiety about. 
Lord, would you put those things that are, that are getting in our way of being devoted to you, would you bring those things to mind? And Father, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for how easily we are distracted, for how often we wander astray, even though we are your people, the sheep of your pasture? Bring us back, Lord. Lead us where we need to go. Guide us now and in the future. And Father, I do pray for those of us who are single and who desire to be married, I pray that you would lead us in a way to both grow in our faith of you, your presence in our lives, and if it be your will to lead us to a spouse. Father, for those of us who are single and do not have this desire to become married, I pray, Lord, that you would surround them with people who love and support and encourage, correct and instruct. God, may none of us be alone as we follow you. We pray and we thank you and we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.